Hey y'all, it's time for some damn good content. I'm Shelby Claymall, your host and business bestie. I'm a content creator, social media manager, and coach, keynote speaker, wife, and a mama of two who ditched her nine to five to build a thriving multi six-figure business solely using social media. Just like you, I'm a working mom and a wife with limited time. So I'm committed to cutting the fluff and delivering tips and fresh ideas straight to your earbuds on how you too can harness damn good content and create that type of business that you love and are proud of. Each week, we'll deep dive into strategy and mindset of building your brand on social media so that your confidence and success in the online space can skyrocket. Get ready to step outside of your comfort zone and start creating some damn good content. Are you ready? Let's freaking get it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Damn Good Content Podcast. Today I have my dear friend, Brenna McGowan here with me. She is a launch strategist and copywriter like no other. She is a genius and we happen to work together on an actual client and that's how we met. And now we are online besties, truly box all the time. I'm so excited to have you here, Brenna. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to have this podcast podcast and get your message out into the world. I know it's been like a long time coming. Y'all, she is a, a friend, a person that you want in your circle because she's so good at what she does. And so in this episode, we're going to break down everything from pre-launching to launching to emails to copyrights to chat GPT, all the AI stuff. Like I want to know all the things, especially since she is a copywriter. Um, Brenna, I want you to take a second, just to give us a little bit of backstory on you. How did you get started in this industry and like where it is at the moment? Yeah, I started in 2018 by accident. I just happened to kind of stumble, I guess, if you will, into the online world. I was helping a friend at the time. I wanted eyelash extensions and she was starting a <laughs> local business. And so I was like, hey, how about I do your social media and uh, some email and you do my eyelashes. And I started to do this for her and people were like asking her about it. And I was like, wait, I could do this as a business, but I was so far removed. I was a stay-at-home mom. I was, I didn't have social media. So I didn't really understand, like I call the social media online world, like an underground world. Like you don't fully realize what it is until you're immersed in it. And so right. I started to do that and then I hated it. <laughs> so I did not love <laughs> social media marketing. God bless the social media marketers out there. It is not an easy job. And, but what I did love was the writing component. So I pretty quickly decided to pivot my way over into email copywriting. From there, I started to do all types of copywriting, sales copywriting. And so this, I guess this like wavy path I went through, curvy path, led me to writing launch copy. And I, at this point, have taken all of that social media content background and all of my copywriting launch sales experience and merge the two. And now I show people how to create effective pre-launches, which is a time period before they launch where they where you're getting people prepped for your sale and using your content in a very strategic way to create a sales argument so that when you do sell to the person or sell to your audience, they are more receptive. You increase your sales, you take pressure off the sales period and really create a, a beautiful opportunity to sell people something that they truly want. 
Right. And I saw today on her, your story, uh, give the example of the fact that Taylor Swift gets so much hype with her pre-launch, her launch. Like she's just like, whether you are a Taylor Swift fan or you are not a Taylor Swift fan, the girl is a genius when it comes to marketing. Um, and give us a little insight on the story that you, that you shared today on your story. Um, and if obviously this podcast, it was a couple weeks ago, but, um, and how you were talking about pre-launch is just so important to fill obviously a stadium like she does. Right. So through helping people with pre-launches, I have created a system of what I call anticipation marketing, but it's really using anticipation to your advantage. And most online businesses don't do this. And Taylor Swift is a beautiful example. It's like she got people so excited about her upcoming tour that when she finally, I think she was pre-selling tickets at that point, had people what waiting eight hours online. Insanity. Yeah. I had a client that this was, you know, this was a few months back where I guess you had to wait for an email to be able yes. to buy the tickets and her daughter was bugging her, making sure she had the email. They built up so much anticipation around the upcoming concert. And she now what I, I think she's one of the top gross ticket sellers, I don't even know what you call them, of all time now based off of her era's tour. And it's really, we can incorporate, I mean, obviously we're not Taylor Swift, but we can incorporate some of these methods and strategies and tactics that she did, which is getting people just really excited and giving them what they want. Um, and we see this all the time. The movie industry is a great example. Like you don't find out even you know, even in 2023, but this is the way it's always been, that you don't find out a movie's coming out the day it comes out. Right. Movies are, I think, I believe it's 160 days, four months ahead of time that they start teasing this. Television yep. is the same way. If you think about fashion week uh, in, in uh, New York City in September, right? I know there's other fashion weeks, but they're, they're getting you prepped for spring, what's coming up in the spring. So they're having a huge event to get you really excited for what's to come. And that's, it's, you can use that same theory inside your sales process and most skip over this and they skip over sales opportunities because of it. Yeah. And I think too, like, a lot of times people, well, I know when I first heard of it, met you, I, there were so many things that I had questions about and obviously we box all the time about it, but like if someone was to launch something, what would you recommend? When would you recommend the pre-launch start for them? Great question. This is the number one question I get and it depends. I would say for most people, if you have an online course program, a membership, even though even a lower ticket membership, because membership, even though the price isn't high, People are strange sometimes about paying yeah. something monthly. So I like about six weeks ahead of the promotion. Uh, and, and is there ever like, is there ever such a thing as it's too late to pre-launch? So like, say somebody comes up to you and like, to, okay, for example, I have a podcast dropping next week. So like, what is it at this point? It's a lost cause. Or do you have some people that come to you and say, okay, like, I know I need to pre-launch. I've been putting it on the back burner. I'm like two, a week or two weeks out. Do you count that as too late? Um, or do you, you give them good tactics on like what to do at that point moving forward? Yeah. I'm going to say it's never too late. It's never too late to start teasing. Right. Uh, and, and I, something I want to go back to really quickly that I should have said, if you're like, 
if you are launching a $27 product, you probably don't need six weeks of pre-launch, right? So I'm talking, that's probably more if you're spending like a thousand dollars, if you're trying to get people to invest a thousand dollars or more in round numbers, uh, it's not going to hurt you doing, doing the pre-launch, but it's not going to be as, you know, as hurtful. I don't know if that's the right word if you don't do it as soon, but no, just starting to tease and talk about something. We are so, so busy and we have so many, I think there's um, a stat out there that we make like 30,000 decisions each and every day. There's so much coming out us that if you can just start teasing even a little bit, what's to come, uh, it's going to make a difference because like I said, most people aren't doing this and your audience is not paying that close attention. So part of the reason why I recommend six weeks is because people are distracted that you're putting out six weeks of pre-launch content. They're probably seeing a fraction of that. Right. So anytime that you can even do a little bit of getting people in the mind frame of what's to come and helping build up some excitement is going to make a difference. So no, I'm, I'm not going to say it's ever too late. What I would say is if you are going in and you're getting really, really close to that actual launch date, it's like really knowing what does your audience need to know before they're ready to buy from you? What is really the important things and honing in on that so that you can get the most strategic message that needs to be heard by them if you're kind of shrinking down that timeline? Yeah, for sure. And so like when you give advice on pre-launch, like what are you mainly pushing for your clients to do? Is that email, social, like what type of marketing are you, are you advising them to push out for their consumer? Well, I think it depends on their data, right? That's where we start is like, first of all, what platforms are you on? And what platforms is your audience paying attention to? So if you're on Instagram, but you're, no one's, no one's paying attention to you then, but your email list, you're getting, you know, 50 or 60% open rates. Okay. It might make sense to focus more on that during this pre-launch period, because that's where your audience is paying most attention. So looking at the data and really figuring out like where your audience is attentive, what content is working for you is first and foremost. I'm going to say the thing that I make as a, a recommendation, a recommendation always is I tell the people that are inside of my program, the pre-launch plan program and my clients, like to me, the bare minimum is I want people to in a perfect world, see you and hear you. Right. So doing some type of video content, which I know you love, Uh, some people video is just not their thing. Okay. Let's at least get you in their ears and getting emails out. I mean, sales just happen on email it's much easier. There's less friction on email. And then if you, if you have the capacity and can add social to that, you can repurpose, you know, some of this authority content that I just mentioned, that's great. But, uh, you know, in a perfect world, you're in as many places as you can be, but obviously we're small business owners. There's some limitation. I'm always going to say being visible and getting email sent out is the most important part. Okay. I'm glad that's a great segue into the next thing because you and I've had this conversation. Well, when I first met Brenna, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of email. And then she literally drilled it down my throat. Uh, truly. (laughs) And now I've come to respect it more. And, and, And this is where I think a lot of people, and I think it's too, when I met Chris as well is, um, a lot of people have the perception of email marketing has to be like these beautiful, elaborate emails, and they have to be Uh, pictures and coupons and like all these things. That's what I did when I worked in the oil and gas industry. I'm like, no one's even opening this. 
But then I met Brenna and I guess, yes, you have to mold it to the client and what they're trying to tell their consumer or sell to their consumer. But it's all about storytelling and it's all about um, making that deeper connection with your actual consumer that's on your email list. And I've realized that I actually enjoy it because I feel like you have a, you, you have a little bit more um, relaxation, I guess, when I'm speaking to my community. Um, but what would you say to people that are totally against email, especially in this day and time? Cause they're so heavily focused on social. I mean, let's be real. That's what my brain is, um, wired to, but give us your take on like what you tell people that does, that don't even like email. I'm going to say you are, Gosh, I feel extreme saying this, <laughs> but just like, be it. It's just okay. Be it. Like, if you're not growing your email list, you are slowly hurting your business without realizing it. There, it, there is no way around the fact that your your social media can be shut down tomorrow. So we've all heard this, but it's really the case. Like tomorrow social media could go away. They could close down your account. I even just last week, I had something on Facebook where I was trying to go live and do a live video. And literally Facebook kept coming and shutting me down and removing my video while I was talking. And that could, that could be it. You know, they could just shut my account down because they said I was violating community standards, which I was not. So uh, the fact of the matter is you don't own social media. Uh, you are, you're, you're having to stick around to like whatever the algorithm is saying. Funny enough today, someone was asking me some questions about, uh, about when I started my Facebook group and the things that I did. And I told them like, I was going live all the time in my Facebook group. Well, two years later, Facebook does not promote live video at all. They actually, I get less reach on live video than I do on a static text post on Facebook. So when we think about it like that, all of a sudden it's like, they're just changing the rules on us every time we turn around. We're face, we're, with email, you're always going to get, you know, the average open rate on email is 20%. What is it? One to 3%, two to 4% of people are seeing you on social. And it's yeah. just so much easier to sell. There's less friction on Instagram. You know, if someone wants to buy from you, they got to go click the link in their your bio. Then they got to get to your, you know, they're on their phone where email is a much more like personal place where people are keeping, paying attention. So I would just say in general, it's going to be so much easier to sell on, on, uh, email than is any other platform. Yeah, I think so for sure. And especially my, my mindset has definitely shifted. Um, sorry. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I think for sure. And definitely my mindset has, uh, 110% shifted, even though like it still is on the back burner. I've still, you would be very proud. I've been sending out emails a little bit more than normal lately. I mean, not every day. Um, and I've made freebies to get people to my email list. So basically everyone that's listening, it's, she's not telling us don't utilize social. She's telling us to take people from social and put it on the, your email list because what you said, 1000% happened a year and a half ago. Social media shut down. Instagram shut down and people were like, Oh my God, Shelby, are, do you remember that when yeah. Instagram shut down? And so literally everybody was freaking out. And that's when everybody was like, okay, you need to build an email list. And so I really think that that's the next layer of selling for you and building that personability because I've had emails that I've sent out that has touched people where they respond to me with this really long story of 
their story because they're like, that motivated me to tell you a complete stranger my life story and how you inspired me to do this. So I just think like people um, overlook um, and underestimate the power of email for sure. And so how many emails or too many emails though? Like what was you, what would be your recommendation on emails now? How many can you send out? How many should you send out? I think you can send out as many as you want. I don't think in most cases, I, I feel like there's a statistic around this, but don't hold me to that where like the more emails that you send out, the more engaged your email list is. Um, yeah. our, our mutual friend, Chris Orzakowski, I'm pretty sure he sends an email every day. Daniel Tarassel, he sends emails every day. Every day. People love it. They want to hear from them. So however, like I know personally, I can't send an email every day. Uh, I'm going to say for everyone who's listening, if you can get an email out a week, that is like, to me, that's the sweet spot between like what a person probably can allow in their business and keeping you in touch with your audience. You know, sometimes people will go a whole month and a month is just a long time. You know, you're going to, you want to stay top of mind with your, with your people. The other thing I want to mention here too, is uh, we talked about social media content. You can repurpose social media content into your email. It's actually one of the things that I teach inside my program. Uh, you could do something as simple as create stories. If we want to, I personally, like stories are easy for me. I could create a highlight and send out a link to a story uh, highlight that I've created and actually reutilize my stories this way. So, you know, if you do a live video, there's so many ways to repurpose the information that you're putting on social that does not have to take a lot of time. So yeah, you could do a longer story-based email, but there are ways that you can reutilize or not reutilize, utilize the content that you're already creating. If you're someone who prefers social content versus sitting and writing an email, how can you get that to your email list and right. repurpose it? And the thing too, a lot of people, what happens when it comes to marketing in general with email or social is they get overwhelmed because exactly what you just said, they feel like they have to make two sets of content to push out. When in all reality, you, I've seen so many people, I've done it. I've seen a lot of my mentors do it. People, I've seen Brenna do it where they'll write what they are putting on social and then they link it back just like what she's saying. So you can email is where you can write longer. You don't, or you aren't limited to a smaller caption. These are the people that want to maybe read from what you have to say, a longer in-depth story. You can link the video that you're referring to, whatever the case may be. And I think people just let themselves get so overwhelmed with producing content that that stops them from actually doing email. I knew that is what happened to me for the longest time. I was like, I'm not even doing this right. Is this story even good? Like who's going to read this? But when I look at my analytics, you are so right because my conversion rate, which I don't even know why I don't send more emails. I mean, I don't have that big of a list, but is between 40 and 60% every single time open rate is 40 to 60% every single time I send out an email. And so I'm like, why am I not sending out more emails at this point? Um, that's only detrimental to myself. So I think when I finally met you and then when I met Chris, I learned that it doesn't have to be this elaborate designed email. It just needs to be an email that's providing value. And like your emails, Chris's emails are straight up just literally text and it's story and it's, there's not a lot of pictures and there's not a lot of things and you don't sell every time. So like you don't have to look at emails like selling because when I used to look at emails, I thought every time I open this email, well crap, I'm going to get a coupon code or another promotion or you have to buy this. And 
I think our, our mindset and the perspective of people in the society at this day and time, they believe that email has to sell every time and you can do a PS and sell, but you don't necessarily have to do that every time. What would you, what would you say on that? Yeah. I don't think you have to sell every time. I think you can sell every time. I don't think there's any rules. I think it's figuring out what's right for you and your audience and what you, I personally wouldn't feel you know, comfortable selling every time. But I think about uh, Daniel Trussell is a well-known copywriter that I know he sells every email. Like, and that's, but his audience loves it. Like they're not right. Obviously his email list is growing. People like it. So I think it's a, a little bit dependent on your personality, what you want to do. I also think that you don't have, when you said like, you have to, you know, share value. I'm really not someone who shares hardly any educational content with people. I'm, you know, sharing a lot of stories. I'm sharing different perspectives. Um, I'm getting people in, but you also don't need to go down the educational route. And if anything, I would avoid that, especially in this age right now. Um, I was just talking about this this morning. I was presenting um, inside the Copywriter Club for their virtual retreat. And we were talking about, I was talking about how, content information is cheap these days, thanks to AI. It's everywhere, right? So we really need to think about what are our perspectives, our values, uh, the way that we see things differently than other people, um, our personal stories. All of these start to shape and mold the type of things that we should be sharing with our audience, because that is what extends our personal brand is what builds no like and trust so that when you do actually sell people uh, like you so much, know you so much that they want to buy from you. Right. Well, you, I'm glad you said that. Cause now we're going into this, uh, the new world of uh, AI. And so Y'all, when this all came out, obviously, I immediately voxered Brenna because I was like, you're a copywriter. What do you think about all this? Like, at first, I was hesitant. I'm being very honest. I was like, this is crappy. It's going to take away the creativity of marketing and, you know, all of this stuff. And it's going to all ultimately maybe put us all out of a job. So let me literally pick your brain. And I remember voxering you and be like, what do you, what do you think is up with this? Like, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? And so now I know that your team... AI, correct? Yes, I am. Te- I am team AI in the sense that I use it in sense of like how good it is for the world. I don't know if I'm team AI, but uh, that's a different discussion. That's a different I, discussion. Yeah, yes, that's a different discussion. But as a copywriter, as a launch strategist, as a marketing person, uh, I see big advantages with AI. I do think you know, all jobs have already been lost. There are, it's taking, it's going to remove some jobs from the market that previously had to be done um, more manually. But I also feel like it, I use it in my own program. I've used it for helping with research for, you know, for helping write first drafts of social posts, even some emails. I, I literally threw in a, I did a video it was like a 10 minute video, a live video and threw it into chat GPT and asked it to create bullets for me for an email. And it spit out five bullets that would have taken me probably, I don't know. I write bullets all the time, 10, 15 minutes and did it in two seconds. And the bullets were just as good, maybe even better than what I would have written. So I am t- team in AI and I think we all have to be t- team AI in if we want to stay competitive in this marketplace so you know obviously there are going to be some sectors that just don't use it but for the marketing world the online world 
everyone is going to know and need to know how to use it and how to use it effectively to stay competitive. 1000%. And I I was team no AI in the beginning because I was like, this is so sad because I love marketing. I love all this, like the creativity aspect of it. But now, I mean, exactly what you said, you have to get on board with this and learn it or you're going to put yourself out of a job. Like it's just like evolving with any new technology that comes out. Now, does AI scare the shit out of me? Absolutely. Because of what the capabilities they are to do all over for everything and like being a mom and they can like alter voices now. It's just freaking crazy. But for marketing and doing exactly what you and I do it is brilliant because it makes you look at things in a whole different way than you could have thought about on your own or quicker than if you could have thought about it on your own. And so like, I don't think that it's, I, I mean, I think that 1000% people just need to get on board because otherwise you're just going to get left in the dust and you just should learn it. And like, just like you said, that helps you with the advantage that you're, you're going to have. And so that's why immediately I, I voxered you and I was like, what do you think about AI? And what do you think? Because you are a copywriter. And for the longest time, they were like, it's going to put copywriters out of a job. But in all reality, you shouldn't rely on it to write every single thing that you do, because in all reality, it's not a human. So like, you still need to humanize your content. And no. so I and just times I use it where I'm like, ugh. I'm writing from scratch, right? Like, like this is not good. And there's other times it writes great. So using it as, um, you know, I use it a lot to help me think through, to think of new ideas or angles possibly, but it's never going, well, I shouldn't say it's never because I would never have thought this was going to happen, but it, it definitely at this point is, it, it can get you maybe 60, 70% there if you know how to input and ask the right questions, but it's not going to replace, uh, I actually wrote an email about this a little while ago. Like I was writing an email about my husband. My I was, I was, Went through this little series. My husband was in the Marines, so he has all these like silly stories. And I was writing the story about how we went to run the Marine Corps marathon in Washington, DC, and he was freezing and he was in a porta potty. And I'm like, okay, this is like the stuff AI can't make up, right? These like little yes. stories that are happening every day. It's like that those personal touches um are 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 where we need to add our human to the content that we're putting out. Yes, exactly. And like if exactly what you just said a while ago, like if people don't understand how to feed it the correct way, they're just going to get generic crap that they believe is good, but it's really not. So like if you don't understand what this machine could do for you, then you're also using it as a disservice because it really could write for you, but you also need the personability to add those human touches into it. That's going to keep you afloat and keep you having a job because in all reality, it can't replace a human. Um, it has come a long way though. I will say this, like even you can edit videos in there. It'll spit out reels for you. It'll spit out all these things now. Like there's so many different things. I was listening to the one, the podcast you sent me the other day. Why did I just blank on his name? What is his name? You always send him to me. He's got the dark hair. Rick Mulready. I think so. Okay. And so he was talking about how, like, if you have this new business idea, you could put it in one of the AI websites or whatever, and you literally just write it within like 150 characters and it spits out everything about that business for you. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I don't think I knew that. It's so crazy. I don't remember the exact um, website that he was saying, but like, he was like, I just tested this out because I was like, this is bull crap. Like, this is not actually accurate. And he said, I did it. And I was like, holy crap. 
So it's scary to where it's going. And like a lot of people just don't talk about it. But in all reality, I guess we just have to talk about it because it's not going anywhere at this point, you know? Right. I wrote an email and I'm like sitting here and trying to remember my three E's. And as soon as we're done with this podcast interview, but I talked about like AI can't replace what I said was your ethos, right? You know, this is the feeling of your business, your values, how people think of you, your brand. It cannot replace your experience too. And I think that's something else to really keep in mind. Like, yeah, I could spit out some content, but it's never going to replace like the experience that you have with your clients. You know, those kind of things in content and social where people want to see the behind the scenes. They want to know how you work with people. So keeping in mind, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff AI can do, but there's definitely things it's never it's not going to be able to replace like that yes for sure and so I want to to pivot just a little bit out of AI and talk about storytelling and messaging a little bit and how important that is and like I've had times y'all where I wrote this caption I was like this is killer (laughs) and I sent it to Brenna and she's like wait And I'm calling myself out on this because if you're watching it on YouTube, you can see both of our faces react to this moment. But it's really true. You need to understand how important messaging is. And if one little tweak that you're missing or one hook or the meat and potatoes or the story, one key component of it is missing, it can be very detrimental to whatever you're trying to sell. So whether that's pre-launch, launch, or you just continuing to advertise for your business. Now, give us a little bit of your take on messaging and, and implementing storytelling into social and email and all types of marketing avenues that people are utilizing and how important it is. Yeah, it really is important. And it's really important. It, so if we're thinking about, I mean, this is like a broad topic, but if we're trying to condense it down to like a social media post, let's say, it's like, what can I get to hook people in from the beginning so they tap more, right? That's going to be the most important thing. Like, how can I keep them reading? And then every line that I put in needs to be something that gets someone to want to read the next line. So that is really, and it it takes a minute, right? It's not something that, learning how to write for social or emails is a lot different than the way we were taught to write. So if you're someone who struggles with it, like, it's completely normal. Um, And then really thinking through, like, what is the goal of this piece of content, right? Is it to get them to click? Is it get them to engage? Is it to get them to go and do some other action? So thinking through, okay, what is my end goal? How can I hook them in at the beginning so that they want to keep reading down the post or the email so that they can get to the end goal that I'm at? The other thing to think is too is, what is in this for the reader? And so it, this does not mean once again, like, oh, I need to give educational content or, you know, today I wrote a post inside my Facebook group. I talked about how I created this event called behind the launch and how I was scared to do it. And I almost didn't do this incredible event that has actually been a huge a huge benefit, grew my email list, uh, helped us raise money for charity. But then I thought, how can I tie this back to the reader? And I thought, you know what? A lot of people out there are probably like me and they're sitting and they're thinking of an idea and they're scared to put it out because they're afraid of what people are going to think or people are going to think it's silly because it's a little bit different than what's out there. And actually the silly idea I had people ended up loving it because it was different. And so not to hesitate. So I started to think, how can I turn this back to the reader? And turning it back to the reader was, hey, whatever that idea is that you have in your head that you are 
scared to put out into the world might be the best best thing you've ever done for your business. So thinking of not only how am I going to hook someone in, what is the end goal, which was for me was engagement, but thinking about in in between is how am I going to tie this back to the reader in a way that's meaningful to them. And I think that is very powerful. And I'm glad that you said that because a lot of times when people are writing content or they're showing up on social, I I say this all the time, because if we are narrowing this down to social, it's like, this is a preview of someone's life. And so they're writing the perfect caption, the perfect messaging for you to see. But the moment you let your guard down and you're like, I'm human, I was scared to do this, but this is the outcome or I failed or it was a success. That's the moment people see themselves in you. And that is the moment that you're talking about when it's like, what is the reader going to get from this? What is my consumer? What is my community going to get from this? And the moment that you want to do the vulnerability and you telling that story is huge because I've seen it. I've watched her behind the launch. Like I've watched her launch this sucker and it's just been amazing. She's interviewed amazing humans. She's raising money for charity and it grew your email list and you did it all based on one silly idea that you thought you had in your head. And now like how many opportunities has presented themselves itself to you because you stepped outside of your comfort zone. You asked these bigger people to be in these interview processes with you. And so I just feel like if you're willing to write the correct messaging and tell the story that where it, you found out the silly idea to actually executing the silly idea and sharing that with the world, that that would motivate someone else to do whatever you're trying to motivate your consumer to do. And so that is like super huge with the messaging and storytelling aspect of it. Um, and you're about to drop your second behind the launch. So I am, I am. So, uh, it's going to come up and I, I've actually have already secured people for the third one. So I'm doing a third one. So, uh, it's been a really great event, but something I want to say too, about what you were talking about being vulnerable, because people might hear that and be like, I don't want to be vulnerable. Like this is not what I got onto social for. And I think there's different levels of what vulnerability can look like for each of us. I know for me, I always run things through what I call my soccer mom test, which is like, is this a story that I would share with someone on like, I'm a, I'm a soccer mom, obviously. Like would I share this with like that mom that I kind of know on the soccer field and feel okay about it? Because there are stories in my life that I'm not okay with sharing. Um, there's a lot of stories in my life that I don't want them to be public. I don't want to talk about them. Some of them happened 20 years ago. Some of them happened yesterday. And I'm just, it's, it's painful. It doesn't feel good to me. So it's taking an inventory of like, I, yes, I do think that, you know, if we've ever had a friend, we've all had a friend who like doesn't open up and it feels like, gosh, I can't get to know this person. It just feels very surface level. Hard. Yeah. Right? It, it feels hard. We want to get, we want to go a step below where it doesn't feel like hard like that, but we also don't have to jump off where we're telling everyone our deepest, darkest secrets and everything that's gone wrong in our life. There's a, there's a balance in a dance that you can play. And for each and every person that is different. So I just want to talk about that because whether it's social email, what other what blog content, video content, you get to choose those stories that go a little bit deeper and it doesn't have to feel icky. Yeah. And, and I had, I had recently uh, did a story about being personable on social media or whatever. And so many people, clients too, and people that I know are following me, never even mentioned it. They're just like, how do I become personable and vulnerable online when I have children? And I was like, 
there are no rules. You choose exactly what you just said, Britta. Like you choose what you show. You choose the personability aspect. You get to choose the vulnerability aspect. I, my question back to them was like, I choose what I show you of my children. Can you tell me how old my kids are? And can you tell me where they go to school? And that everyone has said no. So you don't have to showcase so much of your life to connect. You just have to give someone a little bit more where they feel like they're going to become a super fan of you, where they're going to support you, become your best friend. And when you are ready to sell to them, they're like, I'm, I want to buy from that person. I feel comfortable with that person. I feel like I know that person. And it doesn't exactly what you said. You don't have to give the deep, dark secrets. And that's what people are freaked out about. It's like one extreme to the next. They're like, I'm not sharing anything on social to let me share my entire life story with you on social media. And that's not, not the case. And so when we talk about storytelling and messaging, it's not that extreme. It's literally just giving them nuggets where they can hang on to, where they feel like they know you a little bit more. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I think it's right. And I talk about things like I'm always on the quest for the perfect, like cozy, wide leg. Yes, you are. Yeah, right. And so that's like people will send me now, like over Instagram, like, hey, I, I had this happen just like two weeks ago where someone was like, I found the perfect black cozy pant. Here's a link to it. And they've connected with me over this. I know at one point I always talk about my friend, Marisa Corcoran. And when I found her, we both bonded over Colin Firth in the A&E Pride and Prejudice, the the best one, um, mini series from the nineties, right? It's stuff like that. Like there's all different types of stories that we can tell and it does not have to be, they don't have to be super deep. It doesn't have to be about your kids. It doesn't even have to be that much about your personal life. There can be little edges of your personal life that you can talk about. Like for me, I talk about doing yoga. I talk about reading because I'm a book nerd. I talk about my pug, right? I do have some of my kids, although I can tell you since this whole AI stuff, I've started to be like, I don't know uh, how much I'm going to be putting my kids out there. But things like that where you get to choose what to share and you can tell and you can tell all types of stories. You can tell your own story. You can tell stories about things that you have found in the media. You can tell client stories. I've told a bunch of stories recently about my husband that he was okay with me sharing about the Marines. These are stories that are like 30 years old, but people still loved, right? It does not have to be these like... it just doesn't have to be what we would consider these like super vulnerable stories. Uh, even though the example that I gave was a little bit vulnerable. Well, I had this conversation with someone recently because I went to that, uh, conference. What last, I, I don't, my time is all going together, but it was in March of 2022. So last year. Yes. And they kept saying like, tell your story. And like, you have a story to tell. And I was like, I don't have a story to tell. But what I finally realized is this, we were so trained to have a a very, like what you just said, a vulnerable story, a sad story, a soppy story. So think about the voice, American Idol, any reality TV show, when they go back to tell that person's story, it's like a very sad story. So I'm like, well, I don't really have a story to tell. But the moment I was like, yes, you do. People want to know that you were in corporate and that you went out and you branched out and you started your business. That is the story. It doesn't have to be sad and vulnerable and any of that. They just want to hear your story. And so for the longest time, and there's clients that I deal with now, they're like, nobody wants to hear my story. I'm like, yes, they do. 
And until I started telling my story over and over and over and over, it was like, okay, people actually do. There are people that are going to want to hear it and there's people that aren't going to want to hear it. But I think we were so trained growing up or, well, at least I was, I don't know if you feel the same way, but like your story has to be so impactful that you can't even say that you had one. I, I don't know. I don't really know even how to put that into words. It's just to the point where like I struggle with telling my story for so long that now that I'm actually telling my story of me from corporate to now, people are like hanging on to it. And they're like, this is motivational. This is inspirational. Like, I can't believe you did this. I didn't know you were in the oil field for this long. I thought you just started this business and then this is what happened. So I think it's just very important for people to understand that you don't have to have this extravagant story. You just need to tell your story because that's how people are going to connect with you. Yep. I agree. And going back just really quick before we wrap this sucker up, cause it's been great. I will say this. I, um, well, you know a little bit more about my kids, but, um, both of them were in our bedroom. Like we're going through the renovation process or whatever. And I had my headphones and my mic in there just sitting on a folding table because that was my office for the day. And I had like this creative thought. So I was like, let me just record a podcast really quick. And Henry was like, mama, what is that? And I was like, it's my, uh, podcast stuff. He's like, oh, I want to record a podcast. And I was like, okay, literally I, I set everything up just like I do, like what we're on right now. And I just hit record and I didn't even prompt anything. I like let him record. And, um, I, and then Willie came in and he wanted to do the same thing. It was like the cutest literal video, but I am so scared to put that online from AI aspects of things, because I think one, it would get a lot of attention because of like what they say. Cause I didn't even prompt them. Cause you know, kids just say random things. And then two, because, uh, I'm scared somebody's going to take their voice and be like, use it for something else. So I'm dev- it's just going to stay like a little tucked away in, um, my phone. It was a really irrelevant story to tell you right now, but I'm just saying like what the world's coming to with kids. So, well, and I think it goes back to like our AI talk. And when I said at the beginning, on one hand, I see such an advantage of what it can do. And then on the other hand, this, what you just talked about, like the fact that it could mimic kids. I have teenagers and I, I think about the implement implications of what it could look like and it scares me. So I, I nervously tiptoe knowing that I have to learn it and have to understand it because it's not going away. But at the same time, I do think being, being smart and proactive, especially as parents, but even not, you know, even our family members, like sharing with them, like most, I, I feel like because we're so entrenched in the online world, we feel like everyone knows what we know. Uh, and yep. I, I was part of uh, what in the mastermind I'm in, it's like, it's like 0.0025% of people in the world are really even utilizing AI right now, even though we feel like it's everyone. So yeah. we can really be advocates at the same point in time to show our family and let them know, um, Hey, this is what's out there. This is what it can do, but this is the stuff that you need to watch out for as well. Right. Right. Well, I'm really excited that you were on my podcast. I have one more question for you that I didn't prompt you for, but I'm really excited to hear your to hear what you're going to say back okay. to me. Deep breaths. Now I'm nervous uh, since I don't. Don't know be nervous. nervous. <laughs> it's, it's 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 good. It's I think it's good. Now I actually have been asking. They asked me this for my brand shoot. So by the time the podcast comes out, people have heard will have heard it. But I was like, that was a really good question. I, I actually hated them for asking me because they waited until the end to ask me, and they didn't tell me either. And I cried, but I'm emotional. So I don't think you're going to cry, but it is, if you could go back and tell little girl Brenna one thing, what would you tell her? 
Ooh, this is a good one. I don't know if I've ever thought this question through. So I'm stalling a little bit as I would tell myself. I think my biggest thing, I think because you said you cried makes me want to cry because I'm emotional too. That that's how we both roll. It's why we get along so well. <laughs> I would I would say that my kids now are 15, 17, and 20. And I spent such a large amount of time worrying on about everything. Uh, I think I've always been an anxious person and I spent a lot of time worrying about dumb stuff that of course never happened. And even if it didn't like impact my kids, it impacted my enjoyment of them growing up. Cause I, I was a stay at, I was really, really blessed to be a stay at home mom until I started my business. I did some side stuff, but my, while the kids were at school, but like being a mom since they were born has always been, um, like what I did, but I can't say that I enjoyed it. It had nothing to do with my kids. It had everything to do with my approach to life and not, you know, not, being in faith enough that things just are going to work out and that everything is going to be okay and holding on so tightly that I think it took away some of the, the quality of life. So especially for people who are young, um, you know, now I've had this weird, I actually uh, sent a text to my um, best friend yesterday. I'm not one of these people that's been super sad about my kids getting older, but I had this weird, like nostalgic, sentimental thing going. My kids are now uh, juniors and seniors and graduated from high school. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's the end. And so that, that makes me sad a little bit. Well, that was a good answer. See, it wasn't that scary. <laughs> you never know what people are going to ask you. Although sometimes people will ask me questions like that and I'll, I'll have like the dumbest answer because I can't come up with anything. And then as soon as we hang up, I'm like, darn, I could have said something so much better. But I, I actually like that answer. I took a breath and leaned into it. And uh, that's exactly what I would, that's exactly what I would say. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so stinking much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I appreciate our friendship and all of our boxers and all the things. If you want to learn more, which all of you that are listening should go follow Brenna, um, tell us where they can find you. Yeah. If you're someone who has a promotion coming up, uh, whether it's paid or, you know, you're doing something that's unpaid, like a podcast, I have a cheat sheet where you can go and find out like what, if you're like, what kind of content should I be talking about before I actually launch and try to get my thing out into the world? Uh, you can grab my pre-launch cheat sheet at brennamcgowan.co uh, slash cheat sheet. And I give you the three buyer beliefs, the three things that every buyer has to believe before they will buy from you. You, and I give you ideas of the type of content that you can start to create to help support those beliefs. Awesome sauce. And y'all, she's on Instagram, Facebook. Are you on any other platforms? I'm on LinkedIn, kind of. Kind of. And she has a website. Hey, we're going to put it on the show notes so you can literally just click it. We'll tag her on social because you obviously know I'm a big social media person. But if you enjoy this podcast, please rate, comment, review, all the things, share it with all of your friends. Thank you all so much for joining and we'll see you next week. Until then, let's freaking get it. Bye.